Welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. This is the comics podcast for folks who are really excited about creative science fiction comics, especially ones that are super queer, super feminist, and even a little bit kinky. I am your host, Elon 11 underscore Elana Brooklyn being my Twitter handle, which I suppose is notorious at this point, perhaps. And uh, I am joined today by a really wonderful writer and podcaster guest this afternoon. It is Tina Horn. Hello. Tina Horn. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Tina Horn hosts and produces the long running kink podcast. Why are people into that? She is also the creator and writer of the sci-fi sex rebel comic book series SFSX, in parentheses, safe sex. Her reporting on sexual subcultures and politics has appeared in Rolling Stone, Playboy, Hazlitt, Glamour, Jezebel, and elsewhere. She is the author of two nonfiction books and has contributed to numerous anthologies, including the queer horror collection Theater of Terror and the feminist essay collection Believe Me, How Trusting Women Can Change the World. Tina has lectured on sex worker politics and queer BDSM identities at universities and community centers all over North America, and works as an on-set consultant for theater and television, including the dominatrix scenes of Pose. She is a Lambda Literary Fellow, the recipient of two feminist porn awards, and holds an MFA in creative nonfiction writing from Sarah Lawrence. Tina is currently working on her first scripts for television and film. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Tina Horns Ass. <laughs> Um, so thank you for joining us. This is your, your first time on the show, and I, I've been really excited about your series for a while, so I'm excited to make this happen. Yes, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So the quick story for our listeners who haven't picked up the book yet, which you should, and it's out from Image Comics, SFXX, SF. SX. I'm so sorry the- <laughs> about this. I, I like put myself in this situation where like safe sex doesn't have the best SEO. So we like use the thing that we, that the acronym that, or this sort of pseudo acronym mm-hmm. that we use to like abbreviate it over like email correspondence, which was SFSX. And we were mm-hmm. like, maybe we'll, we'll like call it that. And then that's how people will like hashtag it and, and, put it in search engines you know but then that is like really hard to say out loud <laughs> so it's like no it's so if funny you're typing yeah. it, if you're typing it you can abbreviate it as sfsx but if you're saying it please feel free to say safe sex okay that's helpful it's funny though because you're right about the search engine optimization factor with a comics name like when i heard that kieran gillen and stephanie hans were releasing a comic called die d-i-e i was like i totally get this joke this is brilliant how will anybody find it on the internet <laughs> conversely you're like no the seo of say search engine optimization for those outside of the space uh of safe sex is just going to pull up articles about safe sex, which is great, but not literally the comic that we're trying to get folks to read. Totally. So you're going to do something else. And now I'm like, oh my God, I can't even say these words. Okay. <laughs> but for those who haven't picked up the comics yet, this is my this is the description. In the near future, story of the underground queer sex workers known as the Dirty Mind, who use their powers of bondage and intrigue to free their incarcerated friends and fight the power. SFSX, Volume 1, Protection. The first trade paperback collection of the series features issues 1 through 7, plus bonus behind-the-scenes process, porn, and commentary from the art team and creator-slash-writer Tina Horn. So, folks, come on and pick it out. You know, I I think maybe let's let's, like begin the conversation in a spoiler-free way. And then at the end, 
I might get a little bit more spoilery. I think that'll be my plan for engaging with the content. That sounds great. But, um, but to you, start you, us out, you let yeah. me know. You let me know when I can spoil <laughs> because actually, I like now that the trade is out. I sort of, and I know that some people are going to be reading the whole thing for the first time in the mm-hmm. in the collected form. But uh, yeah, there's there's I've done so much. I've had so many conversations with people about kind of like the premise since it's an, it's a relatively new series. Um, mm-hmm. But it is it's kind of fun to think about having conversations about like what happens, <laughs> all the shit that goes down. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean I. Um... I don't really remember what the the preview before the first issue came out had posted, but I just was like, okay, there's someone who is an actual like expert talking about sex and talking about sex work who's mutuals with Melissa Gira Grant mm-hmm. and is writing a comic. And it's like, obviously this is something I'm excited about. Um, so I was like really looking forward to just checking it out on, you know, in, in the first place from that. Um, but what's been really, what's, what's really interesting to me is like uh, there's, what the story kind of reminded me a lot about in terms of the, some of the construction was, did you ever see the Jean-Pierre Melville film Army of Shadows? Oh my God, no, but I am going to watch that immediately. Yeah, yeah. It's all about the French resistance. And, oh. Right? So, you know, in this you have a story about a group of people who are close with each other and there's interpersonal conflict and intrigue. And in the one hand, people are fighting for freedom. And in the other hand, there's like, the personal, there's the personal stuff that, uh, and the personal is political, but it's also like, this guy screwed me over, this guy screwed my wife. And you're dealing with this, this, uh, this story that is very political with a capital P, yeah. but also very personal. Oh my God. Which makes sense you are, the content. You are just really picking up what I'm putting down. And it is such a refreshing experience to have someone like, bring up a comparison that is not something that I am familiar with. So I'm stoked to check that out. And you, you've also really hit on something that has been on my mind lately. You know, I've been working on this, on this series for three years and like something that has really come up for me lately is like, this is a, this is a book about friendship (laughs) and Mm. you know, it, it, there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of politics, it's totally a social thriller. It's totally a, a, you know, it has a like just bald faced political agenda and, and like political allegory. And, but, but yeah, it is, it's about, it's about friendship and it's about, you know, this is like a pet peeve of mine and a lot of the friends and loved ones that I like watch movies and TV shows with and talk about books and even, even music and definitely comics with is like, <laughs> like so many problems would be solved in these stories. If people just like talk to their friends <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, but then there's, then, then there's more problems, uh, especially when you are like fighting, you know, seemingly insurmountable evil, uh, or social problems. But, um, yeah, I think that that was always like a very, very important thing to me was like, no matter how much I am trying to say about sexuality and society, I really just wanted to write a story about a group of friends. That's also not something that you see in stories about sex workers often enough it's often like Mm -hmm. a lone sex worker who like is supposed to 
stand in for everyone who works in the sex industry. And um, that is definitely not the case with safe sex. Yeah, I mean... I do think there should kind of be a moratorium on people who have no connection to sex work writing about sex work in comics because it's just been consistently really bad. It's been pretty um, bad. I actually, you know, I mean, my first question to you should be like, how did you come to deciding to tell this story as a comic book? Well, I have been a nonfiction writer and media maker for most of my life and most of my career. And so a lot of the themes of safe sex, which under which I would include like the really nuanced complications of the history of feminist politics and queer identity and community and and you know uh, stigma against sex work, um, but also like the the joys and, and creativity and like nitty gritty realities of all different kinds of sex work from escorting to pro doming to porn making to camming to stripping. And, you know, those are all the themes that my nonfiction has been about by and large mm-hmm. and, and, and kink um, as well. I should, I should mention in like the sort of politics of like sexual power and, and BDSM and leather And I had never really written fiction on this scale before. Um, And when it comes to being a professional creative, you know, I can be very like cosmic, like paint splattery person. Um, But I also am, you know, uh, not independently wealthy and like need to hustle for a living. And so I also tend to be a pragmatist. So if something happens, like what happened with safe sex, which is that someone with an opportunity to give me paying work, writing a comic approaches me and says, would you like to write a comic? And I'm like, (laughs) cool. I want to write it about all of the themes that like my podcast, why are people into that? are about and, and, you know, my, my journalism is about, and, uh, uh, you know, even my like, like fetish performance art and porn and, and everything has been about, uh, you know, if somebody gives me that opportunity, I'm like, yeah, pay me and we'll see what happens from there. So, you know, uh, mm-hmm. th- that's, that's a, that's a reality of the situation. And, and, and th- then the idea of like writing a dystopia about the sort of like, banality of evil of bureaucracy and um you know the the complicated like personal dynamics of allyship and people who could be your comrades who end up selling out to the people who have amassed the most power like you know those are just those are the things that scare me and uh, that I'm always trying to kind of like make sense of in this world, writing about real life things. So in a way it was kind of like soothing or therapeutic, not to say it wasn't a hell of a lot of hard work, um, Mm -hmm. but um, sort of setting my mind to like, creating this little scenario where 
I could, you know, sort of like run some tests, like basically like inventing, <laughs> inventing a little world and then like running some tests on the, <laughs> the characters that I created and the situations that I was putting them through. Like, uh, mm. it was maybe sort of, I thought of as like a project that would like also help me to understand all of these dynamics that I've been like exploring in my work my whole life. So, um, and yeah, but I mean, I also, I mean, the thing that's cool about writing fiction is that you don't have to like fact check things or like <laughs> cite your sources or like uh, depend on the quotes that other people give you or the pesky facts that you, that you uncover when you're reporting. It's like, you can, you can kind of like, uh, set things up so that they can be pleasurable and juicy and exciting. And, you know, the, the idea of like affecting people's bodies through my fiction, you know, making them laugh, making them cry, making their hearts race, making them sweat, like turning them on was like, uh, was really exciting. And, and, you know, as a lifetime lover of comics, like, that's I feel like comics is like the number one genre that I just look to for like all of that uh all of just like the I don't know I guess like wetting my my appetite for like all different kinds of like somatic responses to storytelling mm. so that makes a lot of sense and you this is definitely a comic that does cover all those different bases of making the readers feel those rain wide range of emotions um I think especially in the current context of like the political situation, especially like for me, like I, I, I was only recently like able to just catch up and read the whole comic. So I was reading it in the context of like what we're, what's happening in Portland with the, the like federal shock troopers being sent in to shoot at people and um, a real escalation in fascism in America. And so even I, I, you know, I, I think like the, the fascism that the characters are experiencing in this book would be anxiety producing under any circumstance, but it was especially a heightened feeling of reading it right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course that's been on my mind and it, of course it's been on my mind with the resurgence of black lives matter protests and, you know, this full blown civil rights movement that we are experiencing in 2020 and, and hopefully participating in hopefully on the, um, the right side of history, mm-hmm. the correct side of history in 2020. <laughs> and, um, I mean, you know, something I've been saying about safe sex since the beginning is that like, in my mind, good dystopia is good satire and what good dystopia and good satire have a responsibility to do, but also just like what makes them great, what makes them successful, what makes people love them and be entertained by them. And also feel that they're like thought provoking is when they, uh, take something that a like marginalized group is experiencing or, you know, a, a subculture is experiencing or like one type of person is experiencing and sort of expand it to, a level of, of absurdity that like makes it uh, more like understandable to like a universal readership or audience so that mm-hmm. then that like more people can be like, Oh God, it would be so awful. If for example, with safe sex, I had to report 
every experience of intimacy and pleasure to the government, either through like DMV like offices or through like technology that is supposed to be convenient, but is actually like an invasion of privacy and facilitating surveillance. And like, if I don't follow the rules, which are really confusing and ever changing and like privilege certain classes and, uh, and, and certain people, then I am also more vulnerable to like further surveillance and also like really violent policing. Like Mm -hmm. this is what sexually marginalized people of all kinds experience all the time and have been experiencing like experience historically and are experiencing in America right now. And so like, you know, I don't, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make me feel good to be like, yeah, now you guys are all seeing what it's like <laughs> to like <laughs> wonder like when to, to like live in constant fear that cops in riot gear are going to just like, show up to environments that you thought of as safe. And I use that word deliberately in terms of Mm -hmm. the themes of the book, like what makes sex safe? Um, You know, for some of us, our, our sexuality, our identity, our gender identity, um, the, the way that we use sexuality in our art for our livelihood. And also like the, the way that sexuality is how we build family and how we love like is is not safe from violent policing and so like the yeah the the point of safe sex uh, unfortunately is to be like an evergreen critique of society and yeah i would love it if one day safe sex seemed quaint and obsolete because we lived in a post cop utopia um <laughs> but we're, we've got a lot of work to do before we get there and i and i hope that like the that stories like safe sex and 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 stories like it it, you know culture like it can can contribute to building that utopia by like giving us a space to use our imagination to 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 try to like both like expose what is already like untenable and shitty about the situation, um, but also to imagine a better world. Yeah. One of the things that I think is so great about this is that really innovative about this is like, there's so much dystopian fiction out there and it frequently doesn't really ask the question of like, well, what does sex like, Mm -hmm. you know, this like completely fascist state. Yeah. And this leads with that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll say that one of the big dystopia influences on safe sex is the Terry Gilliam movie Brazil, um, mm. which I've loved since I was really young. Uh, definitely the like Kafka-esque, you know, absurd bureaucracy um, it was definitely inspired by that. And I recently rewatched it and it there's a lot of things that I still really love about it. It's been years since I've seen it. And I think it's the first time I've rewatched it since I started making safe sex. And yeah, the, the sexual, the, the like gender relations and romance and sexual fantasy and, and just like the, the, the sexual dynamics or, or like between the characters in the, in the story uh, of Brazil are like, 
so unimaginative and like so just like rom-com heteronormative like snore fest (laughs) and Mm -hmm. uh and I was like huh I guess that didn't bother me as much when I was younger or like maybe the scales have fallen from my eyes I don't know but uh um it definitely you know that's an example of like a, a dystopia that you know is like I'd like to think of as like in that safe sex is in direct lineage with it and yet that particular example like doesn't even really bother to do anything unique or like innovative with sexuality and that's something that I see all the time and like Mm -hmm. people who are genius auteurs who make all kinds of culture from film to comics who are so innovative about so many things and then when it comes to sex it's just like blah Yep. Yep. I mean, it's so funny because I hate like, I hate feeling like, I, you know, I'm running out there like uh, talking about like how all of, you know, there's a lot of comics that have pinups in them that are stupid because it doesn't actually go with the story at all. Mm. The, the, their aesthetic of what the pinup would look like is like an infantile taste in like what is attractive, very narrow cast, you know, heterosexual, white male gaze, boring, not even well executed. And then people get the idea that like, we don't want sex in comics or we don't Dude, think that totally. sex is an important topic to do, or that we only think it's okay to talk about sex in a critical way and not with a, you know, not for eroticism and not for joy. And yeah. none of that's true. We just don't like shitty stuff. That's Dude, all. thank you so much for saying that. That is a, a hobby horse that I'm on all the time. Like uh, I am a, queer woman and I love babes. I love babes in leather. I love babes in hot pants. I love babes in boots. I love babes running in stilettos. Like, please, Mm -hmm. like, let, you know, like, let me live in a fantasy world where we can, like, run into fights or away from dinosaurs or like whatever, <laughs> like in stilettos, like, like that is absolutely the world that, that I want and the comics that, that I want to read. Like, uh, I, I just like also want them to have subjectivity. Like that's all, that's mm-hmm. all I'm asking mm-hmm. for. It's really not that it shouldn't be that rare or that hard. And yeah, I really resent like, being put in that like feminist killjoy position for like bringing up like, Hey, can we do some more interesting things when it comes to sexuality, to female representation, to, uh, you know, to, to desire, to the aesthetics of, of, of femininity or of, um, of, of masculinity too. Uh, mm-hmm. cause I also love, you know, I love a himbo, please. Like <laughs> <laughs> let's get the, the, um, the sexy babes of, of all genders, like, uh, in, in our entertainment, in our storytelling. But like, uh, I just like also want them to, to have dimension. And I don't want to be accused of not, being any fun or like taking other people's like horniness or joy or pleasure Mm -hmm. away because I like want those characters to be also considered human beings. Yeah. Yeah. And it matters and it makes for better art. Like it does make for better art. It just does. 
I, actually, I'd love to hear, like, are there, do you feel like there's any comics that have, like, straddled that line well or succeed in those areas? Well, I mean, I, I really love, let's see, something that has, like, really sexy characters that also have dimension to them. I mean, I feel like I am always using some of the same examples, uh, but it, I think it's just because they're my faves. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think that the, uh, the, the best example of that in like contemporary comics is the wicked and the divine. Like, Mm-hmm. you know I love that series there's so. there's so much emphasis on like cool fucking outfits <laughs> and and people <laughs> do, like just you know they're they're gods and pop stars so like of course there's just gonna be a lot of a lot of poses and a lot of just like ultra violence and like super in your face, sexy sex, and um, and just like a lot of glamour, and but you know, but all of those characters are like we like really well rounded and surprising and flawed and unique and human, even when they're not human, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know that that would be that would be my top example. You know, one of the um, one of the things that you were talking earlier about, like how people are experiencing like danger it, right now, is um, reminded me of a line from your comic, which is Jones says, um, Jones says, uh, "Feeling safe isn't the same as being safe," and that's something I just wrote down and was like, "Yes, this is very, this is very important." Um, I, I don't know if you want to expand a little bit on that that theme in your work, but I felt like, you know, you have the story opens with a character who has been through um, a raid, right, yeah. of her workplace and her community group um, and has, you know, sacrificed parts of herself to be able to get food and survive, but it's not and she might feel safer in some ways, but is not in others. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, sorry, I just was distracted because I was like, uh, I really wanted to have like at least one other title to answer your previous question. And then I, remembered (laughs) I remembered Redlands. Have you, have you read Redlands? No. Oh, it's really good. Um, it's, uh, it's Jordi Belair and Vanessa Del Rey. And it is, it's, it's, it's about a, a coven and it is it's like really sexy and uh, and sexually explicit. Um, but, uh, you know, definitely I, I hate the whole, like, I, I think that the, that the idea of like the male gaze versus the like female gaze or the queer gaze is like, uh, has been like a very, very useful way of like reframing how, how we look and, and, and how we think about storytelling, especially storytelling that has a visual component. But, but I think that like, just saying that something, if something like doesn't have the male gaze and like doesn't objectify people is like the goal or like the thing that is going to 
make the world a better place for diversity in, in representation and also diversity in creators is just like reductive and like not quite the entire mm-hmm. um, point of the project. Um, but uh, but uh, Red Lens is another really good example. So now that that awesome. being said, um, yes, you have very smartly narrowed in on the sort of hidden thesis of safe sex, which is that feeling safe isn't the same as being safe. And that, that was the theme that was on my mind the whole time that I was writing the scripts and the whole time that I was working with all the amazing artists that worked on safe sex from Michael Dowling to Jen Hickman to Alejandro, to Alejandro Gutierrez to yeah. Lauren McCubbin and Tula Lote and Katie Skelly and Steve Wands. And, you know, I, to explain that more, I, I just, I think, well, listen, let's, let's just go there and use COVID as an example, right? This fucking shit that we're living through right now, where all of a sudden we feel less safe than ever before in places and doing things that we used to take for granted would be safe. Right. And we have this like invisible Mm -hmm. foe in this virus. Right. Um, And, you know, just because you feel comfortable going over to your friend's house and hugging them and sharing food with them and hanging out inside, like you might feel very safe there, but that doesn't actually mean that you're not going to contract and then spread coronavirus while you're doing right. that. Right. Right. Um, and you could be hiding in your house cuddled up into uh, or huddled up into a ball of anxiety in a state of abject fear of contracting coronavirus, but that doesn't mean that you are actually unsafe, right? Like the human perception of whether or not we are safe is not the same as the like objective reality of like not not being threatened by anything that could harm or destroy us right mm-hmm. and like there's all kinds of analogies that we can draw between like safer sex in the true sense of the word um uh, you know in 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 the sense of thinking about uh thinking about condoms, thinking about STIs, thinking about, um, uh, you know, conversations that we have with the people that we're being intimate with about, uh, you know, being, being tested and what's our status and, and all of that stuff. Um, there's a lot of comparisons to be drawn between that and coronavirus. Obviously lots of very brilliant people have written about the comparison between how we're dealing as individuals, as communities, and as a nation, and as a planet, and like as a species with coronavirus, and the way that we did and didn't deal with <laughs> HIV, AIDS in the 80s, and the way that we continue to 
in some ways deal and in some ways not deal with HIV AIDS. And, and yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was say, and of course, the whole fact that the conversation was really slow to come around to the whole issue of harm reduction. We exactly. could have learned a ton from that. Like, yeah, how thank do you, you for bringing up harm risk? reduction. Totally. You know, how do you mitigate risk for people rather than just tell them, like, you can never go outside? You can say, well, how can you go outside and be safer? Exactly. Which is the same way we talk about safer sex, you know. 100%. Like, okay, and yeah. like, the, yeah, the, the idea that, like, there's some sort of situation that you could create that is zero risk uh, of of harm or, or danger or death um, is is just not is just not realistic. And also, like, I, I don't I don't want to live my life in constant fear of all the things that could harm me. And um, and you know, I also have known people who, you know, uh, think that if they, you know, use certain kinds of safety measures that they will then be like safe from contracting an STI or, or getting sick or also, you know, uh, catching feelings, the original STI, (laughs) um, and, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, just because somebody is like, okay, well, um, I'm going to use a condom or I am, uh, only going to have, uh, you know, I'm not going to have sex until the third date, um, or, uh, you know, any number of other, uh, ideas that people have about what actions they can take to make themselves safe from the things that they're scared of. And everybody's scared of something different. And a lot of us are scared of a lot of the same things, but, um, like just because you're doing something that you think might make you safer and that in the moment, like maybe calms your fear or calms your anxiety, that doesn't actually have any bearing on whether or not you're safe. Like, I want to be very clear, like taking precautions, like wearing, wearing a mask right now, uh, you know, like washing your fucking hands, uh, (laughs) like choosing the environments where, you know, as you said, harm reduction, like, uh, choosing the environments in which we are accepting that we're living during a plague and that like there are different aspects to health besides just doing everything that we can to sanitize ourselves and our environments to protect from, from coronavirus. Um, like, you know, we also need fresh air and exercise and we, uh, you know, a lot of us want to be around people and a lot of us want to be around loved ones. And a lot of us want to do activities that technically are a risk so how are we making like risk aware assessments in order to live the, the, the lives that we want. So to connect mm-hmm. that to the story of safe sex, like we, I feel like every character has is sort of positioned around the idea of what risks that they're taking and like, what is the thing that like makes them feel safe that they are fighting for. And like another really big thesis of the book is like, if you, if you have to, sometimes you have to choose between safety and freedom, you know? And like, you know, right now it's like, like it, I'll speak for myself and say, it makes me feel, it makes me feel free to go outside and go for a walk. 
technically that's a risk that that Mm -hmm. that makes me less safe from coronavirus it also makes me less safe from not being hit by a bus or being hit by a bus right right? right. um uh or being struck by lightning or or whatever um you know and it, it also makes me think of like how are the ideas of like of sexual safety constructed based on like who we're who we're taught to fear and what kind of person we're taught to fear like this whole bullshit idea of like you know a rapist is somebody who is gonna like jump out of some bushes when you are wearing a mini skirt and walking alone at night. And as long as you are a good girl and don't wear a mini skirt and don't walk home alone at night, then you will never be raped when like what we know to be true is that, is that rape most often occurs in the form of intimate partner violence or, um, you know, with, within homes, within people who know each other, sometimes within people between people who, who love each other or have a previous Mm -hmm. sexual history or, um, or intimacy. Uh, and, uh, you know, so this idea of like teaching people to fear the like, um, dark, scary, trashy, other stranger, um, also just means that the people in power can continue to get away with doing horrible things as long as they like point their fingers elsewhere um, yeah. and say like yeah. the, you know, this other thing is dangerous. Be scared of black men. Like black men are the ones who are going to take advantage of you. Like, and you know, all, all kinds of, all kinds of, of other people who or other kinds of people who don't, who don't deserve to be treated that way and don't deserve to be like seen as dangerous or riskier for people. And people might think, oh, it would be like riskier to be alone with this kind of person or to date this kind of person. And like, just because they feel safer, it doesn't mean that they actually are and yeah. yeah so all the characters in safe sex you know make choices based on you know wanting to feel safe but as we see with the main protagonist of you know of this first arc that's collected in the trade paperback volume one protection avery you know avery makes a series of decisions that she thinks is going to make her safer in the society that she is living in and it does for a while but ultimately ultimately really doesn't and she has like super rude awakening and i'm sort of hoping that readers will also have a rude awakening as they are like following avery's story yeah definitely but i also feel like your book is really compassionate to the people in it um which was important thanks i I think they're my they're my friends Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say, no, reading them, I was very much like, oh, yeah, no, these are my friends. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, of my sort of general, like, generation and idiom, you know, this is very much in San Francisco, and I'm very much like a New Yorker, but, Mm. uh, but it was definitely like comic where I was like, I know these particular, like, queer, you know, like, community members, and the dynamics between Avery and her husband, and everybody, and especially, you know, like, Avery coming in, 
to the story uh, and coming into the community of the dirty mind as like an indie porn creator. Yeah. I was like, yes, I know what this is. <laughs> and it's cool to see folks like that depicted in a comic. Cause that doesn't, you know, often, not often people who you see. In totally. Comics. Totally. But those are, that's just like my regular schmegula life. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I, it's sort of weird. Like I, I don't have a sense of like how, there's certain things I know about the folks listening to this show, namely that like you guys are anti-fascists and you believe in, you know, all you believe in like having a more fair, equitable society and that having better representation in your comics is important, et cetera. But I don't know how familiar folks are with like talking about like sex worker rights as a general subject. And, you know, we're talking about, um, but I, I think like, you know, if folks like, you know, haven't really thought about it before, there's like a whole world of like indie artists and indie porn creators who are making, you know, independent work and art who right now, you know, people could really, people need your support (laughs) during COVID. Sex workers of all kinds really need support during COVID. And of course, um, the, uh, the, the completely bullshit cares act specifically excludes sex workers and, um, you know, like it, and, and, you know, the way the internet crackdown stuff is going with FOSTA. Yeah. And other bills, you yeah, know, it's making it, it really hard. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I mean the 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 CARES Act is a is a really good example also of how you know a, another theme of safe sex is the is the way that you know when conservative, uh, you know, sort of religious right types come to power or try to figure out how to wield more power in society, they know instinctively to go for sex workers because sex workers have been made very vulnerable in, in our society. And, you know, in a, in a lot of, as I said before, you know, sex workers are often the, the people who are dealing with, censorship and compromises to privacy and compromises to freedom of expression before it kind of gets to other people. And like the CARES Act is like a really good example of kind of like what the next step of that often is. And this is very relevant to me as someone who has a background in the sex industry and now works in journalism and media and publishing and entertainment dealing with a lot of the same themes that I dealt with uh, in, in this, in the sex industry proper. Um, you know, I often have to deal with these kind of gray areas where like, you know, the cares act explicitly says that like, if you make your money from sexuality, you, you don't, you don't qualify to get this like stimulus payment from the government. Right. So like one of the places that I make money is, you know, I make ad revenue from my, podcast why are people into that which is about sex kink gender and love and um you know it it it, i i'm making money from sexuality with that and my income was was compromised by that because some of my sponsors were no longer like able to fulfill their contracts for covid reasons and Mm -hmm. so you know i could have i i didn't actually even try because i'm burnt out and tired of like justifying (laughs) my existence and the legit the legitimacy of my work to the government which is definitely (laughs) what this fucking book is about um but uh 
you know, like I knew that there was a possibility that I could apply. And, you know, in, in those cases, even if I'm not technically doing something that would be considered sex work under the legal definition of sex work, something that I might not be um, arrested for or criminalized for, um, I still am cut off from services that I should be entitled to. And, and, and those are the ways that, that criminalization works, like not only in like, you could be arrested, like if you're like caught, like leaning into a car on the, the, in the wrong alley in the middle of the night, but like also like you are cut off from being able to like get the like means of support that society is supposed to be providing us with. Like otherwise, like why do we, have to deal with the bullshit of civilization if we're not like all participating in this together. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Um, so when you were when you were sort of plotting out the story, mm-hmm. um, you know, you 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 have your characters, and I, I feel like this is like light spoiler, not heavy spoiler. So okay. for somebody who's like super uptight about spoilers, maybe <laughs> you'd be like, I don't want to hear this. But I feel like most people would probably be okay with hearing this. So like, you know, in the story, you have your characters who are like this awesome, you know, you have Avery, who's the person who some of her, some of her compatriots would describe her as having sold out. Mm -hmm. Um, Some might describe her as having made compromises to survive. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the other folks who still continue her other friends and former friends in some cases who continue to work in the scene, um, you know, they're, 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 they're fighting up against a range of kinds of oppressive people. Like you have a character who it's interesting because I know that like in the 20. 20 context I feel like people's initial reaction to Borman would be like she's a turf but like mm-hmm. she's actually also like an old school anti-sex feminist as totally. we used to talk about in like the 70s and 80s totally um and like doesn't even really quite like we know that these folks are going to be anti-trans rights because they're oppressive and shitty totally um but like what she really talks about is these are all like lines of attack that come from an actual school of thought that yeah. some people who similar to TERFs, professed to be feminist, mm-hmm. you know, put out. And, and and she's used as a front and she's used as a, a cover-up for, like, the conservative right-wing totally. oppressors. You get it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll jump to one thing in the end later. There's, like, a, a very spoiler thing that happens that I love. But, like, you know, I think, like, like you, you when you were setting... So when you were designing the story and, like, coming up with, like, who are the sources of conflict? Yeah. Like, how did you decide... Like, what are the the forces that you would have folks go up against, and how did you want those embodied in the in, in the in the enemies and the the antagonists? I should say. Well, the first thing that I just want to say that you've totally touched on is that like there's a reason that so many turfs are also swerfs, and like, do you feel mm-hmm. like your listeners know what those acronyms stand for? Well, you know, let's. Let's do it quickly. Okay. So TERFs <laughs> yeah. are trans-exclusionary radical feminists and SWERFs are sex work exclusionary radical feminists. And so, you know, and, and as you just alluded to, it like even kind of like makes my skin crawl to even like call them feminists. But like the truth is, is that the history of feminism is is complex and varied and you or and I could be on like a panel with a bunch of feminists and have like t- 
totally diametrically opposed ideas about some of the things yeah. that we like hold most dear, right? And I feel like yeah. not everyone realizes that, which is so annoying. Um, uh, but maybe they will after they read Safe Sex. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, and it's so obvious to me where those ideologies of advancing a certain kind of women's rights sort of wants to like throw certain people under the bus. Right. And so what Borman toted to get back to your question, what Borman totally embodies is this very real archetype. She might as well be based on a real person. She's definitely like a hybrid of Catherine McKinnon and Andrea Dworkin and and actually Mm -hmm. to a certain degree Gloria Steinem even though Gloria Steinem has a lot shares a lot of these same ideas but uh, takes a little bit more of a like mainstream and like glamorous approach whereas like some other second wave feminists are also like defined by being like very anti-femme anti-glam anti-stilettos lipstick you know that that all if you if you want to like dress yourself up in a high femme way, then there's no way to do that. That is not be it that you being like brainwashed by the patriarchy, right? That's like not a tool of the oppressor, right? And that's definitely something that is like pretty strongly critiqued in safe sex. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, Borman is like very against high heels to the point that she has made them illegal. Uh, and that comes into play in like the first issue. But, um, but yeah, Borman is like very much based on real people, real groups, real ideologies. And, you know, the reason that I made her the main villain is that you know, I, I, I've said this before, like I, wanted to make a story that was really sexy and really intriguing. And I also wanted to make a story that was really scary. And a piece of advice that I took from Alan Moore is that he wrote in a, in a book about writing comics. If you want to write horror, you got to really ask yourself what really scares you. And Mm -hmm. Second wave feminists really fucking scare me, man. (laughs) You know, and it's scary because it's one thing to like, you know, so uh, like another person, another kind of person that scares me is the, the, you know, the, the Mike Pence's of the world, the like religious, right. You know, even the like, you know, Rush Limbaugh's, Pat Robinson's, Jerry Falwell's, uh, you know, these are the kinds of people who are represented by the, the party, which is the, the sort of like umbrella government organization that has changed all the things about society that created, uh, that, 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 that like sort of create the dystopia in the world building of, of safe sex. And, you know, these are all like, for the most part, straight, definitely all cis, like, you know, middle-aged to like, you know, 60 year old white guys. And like, who are, who are like very committed to this, like I, this particular idea of Christianity and this particular idea of like traditional values and family values, yada, yada, yada. And, um, you know, they're, they're like the obvious, like big bad. Right. 
but like something mm-hmm. that is so deeply like that is so deeply terrifying and like shakes me to my core that I also have to deal with more immediately, like every day in my work and in my life and in my art is the people who could be my allies, who could be fellow feminists, Mm -hmm. you know, or even just like other women who, you know, I would like to think like, Hey, we're, we all want to fight for equality. We all want to fight to be like treated with respect and to like make the same amount as men and to, um, and to have this, you know, to have equal opportunity, um, in, in all the ways that, that we want to live our lives um, who, you know, and then these, these like second wave feminists like Borman are like, no, I want to be equal and I want the people who look like me and make me feel safe and comfortable to be equal. So in order to do that, I am going to accept the opportunity that is presented to me by these like sort of bigger, badder religious right folks represented by Mm -hmm. the party in safe sex to like throw trans people under the bus, to throw perverts under the bus, to throw sex workers under the bus, to just kind of create this like more marginalized, like subclass of like dirty perverts and deviants and be like, Hey, um, I'm, I'm a respectable member of society and these people are criminals and they're, they're sick and, um, we're, we're not like them. We're just like you, you know, that sort of like, Mm -hmm. uh, respectability politics, uh, approach to gaining rights. Um, and so part of what I'm trying to critique is that strategy of obtaining rights. And if, if you're throwing people under the bus or like screwing over, people who have less power than you in order to, or like stepping on them, like on your way to the top, um, then like you're not coming by those equal rights, honestly. And you're not actually creating, you're not actually doing the thing that you, you know, you're also a fucking hypocrite because you're not doing the thing that you're saying that you're doing, which is creating like a fair and just and equal society. You're actually like masquerading as a, as, as someone who cares about equality when you don't actually like care about liberation, you like only care about your own com- like creating a world that is like comfortable and safe and familiar to you. And, and it's um, not even really safe, right? Because no, it's not. They see, feel yeah. safe, but they're not actually safe. Exactly. They, th- they, they throw her out. Like the second, the sec, you know, they, they, the second that, um, they find, you know, a, a white man with a chip on his shoulder who can command TV ratings. Yes. You know, like the party doesn't, the party doesn't care about following her line. And she says even early in the series, the party leaders are pleased with me because I get results and get them network ratings. They don't care about feminism. Yeah. Which is exactly like all of the turfs and stuff, like they're covering for people who are going to gonna come in and take and take away the rights for like just all women period totally and like the j the jk rowlings of the world and like oh my god yes british ladies like they don't know that like they're gonna fuck you over they're out this is like none of these people are feminists so why do you think they're gonna care about you totally um so you know what what um on a, on a on a funner note, yeah. uh, one of the things that I really appreciated about the book is the way the characters' experience with various sex skills were used as superpowers yes. for them in the story. <laughs> yes, 
uh, yeah, I mean, you know, one piece of advice that I got when, when really like learning to write comics and, and learning to write genre fiction was that, you know, you're obviously, you know, you're creating an, an action adventure, you're creating a thriller. So characters have got to be in really difficult situations, right? That's like the, that's the, that's the engine of the genre. And Mm -hmm. um, the advice that I got from one of the early editors of the series was that the way that a character gets out of a tough spot or, or, or a situation or conflict needs to be the thing that makes them special, right? So the most obvious example of that is like the Avengers, right? So, you know, the Avenger, the, the, the Avengers are in a battle. Uh, you know, Hawkeye is going to get out of his particular situation with his bow and arrow, right? Like Black Widow is going to get out of the particular situation using like all of her fancy spy tricks and also by like looking really hot, right? Um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, and, and, and when it comes to, when it comes to the Avengers, like what makes the team up sort of genre work is like, how does everybody use sort of, you know, sort of create like hybrids of all of their special skills. And then of course, like, what is the, what is the human, whether the character is strictly human or not, like what's the relatable emotional subtext or the psychological subtext or the relationship subtext to, like what these powers or talents or abilities that make them so special represent to the characters and to, to their relationships and, and, and to the, to the group and to the story. Right. So like being able to write sex workers in that way just meant that like, if I create a situation where somebody's running from the cops and I'm trying to like plot out an action scene I, I, what I have to ask myself is like, well, like what would a stripper do in this situation? Right. Like obviously she would use her like incredible core strength and like pull skills. Right. Because she like mm-hmm. knows that she can essentially fly and like, what would a, um, what would someone who has a lot of um, experience, you know, either as an escort or, you know, as a, fetish provider, you know, someone who has a lot of experience doing that, like, one-on-one emotional labor with a client, like, how would that kind of character get out of a situation? And we really see that with Sylvia and her ability to just, like, do emotional labor with the people that she's trying to get something out of in a way that they think it was, like, their idea to give her the information that she needs or to, like, be, like, uh, sort of put, like, off their guard. Um, And you know, the, that sort of ability to like, um, to, to glamor someone like glamor is a verb, right. Uh, mm-hmm. which is also kind of like a, it, it's kind of a witch skill. It's kind of a spy skill. Anyway, like these are actual talents that sex workers that I know use to get out of shitty experiences. And there's things that they've learned on the job or things that talents that they already had that they refined on the job that then they continue to use in their lives. That's so, that's so like present and potent in my life and something that I almost never see in storytelling or entertainment 
or like represented in in public discourse at all and so it was kind of a a fun trick to be like this is this really special thing that's a part of this like subculture that is you know that is like in some ways like my entire world like and this is something that I can like bring to a whole new world a whole new culture of people who are reading safe sex and like maybe you know in some cases there are going to be people who are reading it who have also had those experiences and can relate to that and be like oh my god I've never seen like developing hyper mobility to get out of bondage like used in an action adventure scene in the comic book before Mm -hmm. I feel so I feel so seen in such a special way um you know or they're going to be people who are like huh I never thought that if you were like kinky and had experience with bondage that you might be in a unique position to escape from the cops like and it's like uh, hell yeah and yeah and like huh that's something I've never seen before which I also know as a fan and a, and a lover of, of, of so much, so, so many different kinds of storytelling is like one of the best feelings about like watching a new movie or reading a new comic is like, huh, that's like something that I've never seen before. And, and then hopefully, you know, I want people to be entertained by this. And then hopefully I also want people then to realize that like sex workers are people and that the jobs that we have don't make us like illegitimate for the, for like having other kinds of jobs or being capable parents or being loving partners, you know, Mm -hmm. which is if people are just wrapping their heads around this for the first time, like those are like that kind of whore phobia and sex work stigma is something that we all deal with all the time. And so to really kind of tell a story of that and expose that was like also part of what I wanted to do, but I never w- w- with safe sex, but I, but I never wanted it to come at the expense of like a really entertaining and thrilling and suspenseful and sexy and colorful story. So like learning how to like kind of wed my political agenda to like, learning genre fiction craft was like a big project of this book and I'm really proud of the way that it turned out yeah totally I it's stuff that I'm I'm working with myself also so it's it's really like cool to see someone putting it together you know one of the things I also really appreciated about the story is that uh George i.e Avery the protagonist's uh husband yeah I kind of was thought he was about to be, he was going to be like a princess who had to get rescued. Totally. He's totally he's the damsel in not. distress. But he's actually not just the princess. Like right. he, like he has, he is resilient and his own, he basically uses his sub powers to escape. Yeah. Basically. And totally. Like, that's, 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 that's another like perfect example too. of somebody who, like I've talked a lot about like what makes the sex worker character special. And like George is not a sex worker, but he is kinky and he, has also been in community like with sex workers and like, so yeah, for him, that was like another really big thing that I wanted to do with this story was like show how for kinky people being tortured unconsensually is more like sexual assault 
than it would be for someone who isn't kinky, right? And like, especially mm-hmm. if their desires, their like masochistic desires are being used against them. Like if you are a bondage fetishist, being incarcerated is like, it's not like the, like the crudest way of putting it would be like, oh, like if you're a bondage fetishist, like wouldn't you be like, wouldn't you get off by being thrown in a cage? And it's like, no man, like, because it's not consensual, right? But it's like more horrific when you have a relationship to those feelings that are about, that are about pleasure, that are about erotics, that are about love, and even that are about like community and, 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 uh, and, and culture and intimacy. So, um, so yeah, by that same token, I wanted to put George in these like horrible situations and then ask myself, like, well, what makes George special? And, you know, being, like, a, like, passionate masochist is something that, like, he can use to get out of a situation for a while anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, there's, there's such a good quote with, I already know this isn't sex or love. You want to know how I can tell? I can't hear your shoes. It's a great <laughs> fucking line. It's a great fucking line. <laughs> Um, well, I, 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 and, and, you know, this comic also has some really good humor in it. Like, I just really look forward to a day where I can like look at someone and say, oh no, the lube and have them like understand this is a reference to, uh, a moment of slapstick within the context of your story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it's sort of like, oh, right. Like you setting that up, like there's actually another thing is how much the, the geography of the building where everything takes place, like the building is a character in the story too. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Well, you know, it's it's based on the armory in San Francisco, which is where kink.com made a lot of BDSM porn uh, for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's a really iconic place in San Francisco. And definitely, I mean, I mean, part of that is just like, a, like an homage to Bay Area sex culture you know, the, the, the subcultures that, that I really came up in. Um, but also, and like a tribute to, um, to, to sex work and, 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 and kink in the Bay area, but, but also just kind of comment on like how gentrification kind of creates haunted houses. Like, Mm. like the place that used to be the dirty mind is now the pleasure center and like part of how the characters are able to, you know, and it's the, it's become the pleasure center because it's been like literally seized and like, like colonized and assimilated and whitewashed by the party. Right. And, and it's sort of like insult to injury to like use this like den of inequity to create their, um, their like headquarters. And, so, you know, part of the, with, you know, light spoilers, but like part of the like action arc of the story is the characters, you know, using their knowledge of the place that used to be their home, you know, used to be the place where they made their art and, you know, uh, like connected with all of the people they loved in so many different ways to, to, to fight the party. And, uh, and I'm, I'm so glad that you feel like it really comes across as like a character in the story because it's like, there's this sort of unique horror, like, and I have uh, Sylvia comment on it at one, at one point, like that 
it's, it's like walking through a neighborhood that you used to live in and like realizing that it's been like whitewashed and gentrified seemingly like overnight, you know, like I've, I've totally, I, you know, I've, I've had that experience in, in Oakland. I've had that experience in Brooklyn. And, and, you know, by the way, as a, as a white person, like I am totally complicit in those gentrifications and I'm not going to pretend that I'm not. Um, but, uh, you know, as a working class artist, I'm also like really painfully aware of how it feels and what it means to have, um, you know, places that I used to feel like were my home be like yuppified, you know? And, um, uh, and so, yeah, I really did want to make the, the pleasure center, uh, a sort of an allegory for that. So this was your first comic, which means it was your first time working with like, you know, comics artists in this particular kind of way, right? How you work with a really great crew of folks. I especially love Alejandra's work because I'm a huge fan of her. Oh my God. Um, She's, she's so amazing. She's like, she's like 10 times more amazing than she needs to be. Do you know what I mean? Like like her work, her work is so great, but then she just like pulls out these little like sight gags or these little flares or like these outfits. And I'm just like, where like you, she like, she just delights me. Um, I mean, yeah, like I just, like, like, it's just like, um, it's a cool, you know, her style is really cool. Uh, and it was like a cool, like, you know, like, so you have a range of different, you know, kinds of arts and style and stuff like that through the series, but it's good because the characters are unique looking enough that you can tell who everybody is throughout the whole thing. Yeah. And I mean, I grew up up on, I grew up on a lot of different comics, but, but definitely like, you know, series like, Sandman and the Invisibles where the artists were change all the time, sometimes from issue to issue and then change back. And like, I totally rolled with that when I was a teenager. And so, you know, some of the art changes in like that you can even see within volume one protection were like pragmatic because of just the way that the book was developed over time and who was available and who wasn't. And, and, you know, in the case of the pop-in issue with Alejandra, it was really a a matter of like being at image and being like, Oh, I can like do whatever I want. And I really want to work with this artist on this, like one particular sort of like bottle episode kind of, kind of tone kind of issue and like put a little, well, actually, I guess a lot more emphasis on the humor, a lot more emphasis on the eroticism and the like fetish and kink and sex work like explicitness um and then to get to work with jen hickman uh, who is now like signed on to be on the series indefinitely i just really feel like i found like the perfect equilibrium of style and then but but then working with tula lote as well and and even being Mm -hmm. able to have variants um from somebody like katie skelly whose work i love but is maybe not exactly the right fit for the series overall but that's like what's so fun about getting to do variants. The covers, yeah, yeah they yeah. were great. I love the covers. Well, so does this mean we're going to be we're going to be getting more from the series in the future? Yes, yes, excellent. I, yeah, you know, COVID has thrown everything off a little bit, um, but I have a storyline that I've been working on 
writing this summer and uh, uh, definitely we have the art team signed on and image signed on and and I, I think we might do something a little bit different with the formatting and you know that's a cool thing about being on image is that as somebody who has been like a, a freelancer uh, for m most of my career, like I'm very used to like DIY running my own business and like being like mm -hmm. a one queer band and just like doing it all. <laughs> and like, you know, there are some, um, uh, headaches and frustrations that come with that, but there's also a lot of freedoms and working with images, like running a small business. And so like, you know, you kind of get to like play around with the things that you want to play around with and also make choices that work for the series. You know, there's there, I know this is corny to say, but I am so impressed by how much image actually like puts their creators first, but, but also values like the whole ecosystem of mm. comics and like how we're all in this together. And, um, uh, so yeah, I've been having some conversations with them about like the best way to set ourselves up for success with the format of the comic moving forward so that I can like, so I can tell the story and the, um, and, you know, work with the artists to create really like memorable, amazing art. And like, also hopefully like continue to build a community of fandom around this book, because I've been so pleased that it has appealed to, you know, the, the folks like you and me that we were just talking about, like, we're not used to seeing X, Y, Z in a comic as much as we would like to, um, you know, those folks have really responded, even if they're not necessarily like comics people or like used to being comics readers. And then the comic book community has responded really well too. So I feel like we've struck a really good balance and I'm, uh, I, I mean, I know I've said this, but like, I have loved comics my whole life and I never thought that I would get to make them. And it took somebody like following my work and taking a chance on me to put me in a position to do it. And then I was like, so fucking ready, you know, yeah. to like work my ass off. And, and I'm just like, I'm so, I'm just like really proud of it and really happy with it. And and really excited that it's like out in the world. And like, I want to keep doing this my whole life and also oh, it would be fun yay. to like work on other comics maybe stuff that's like not my ip not created by me because i'm like so incredibly precious about <laughs> safe sex that it might be it might be nice to like work on something else as well so i'm available for hire well, I certainly know it's long past time that some of the sex worker or former sex worker characters in mainstream comics had someone writing about them who knew what the fuck they were talking about. Totally. That's not to say you also couldn't write Aquaman because, I mean, you could write I Aquaman. I could. But you get what, what I'm so saying. So what are some you of your saying. favorite um, mainstream characters who are sex workers or former sex workers? Obviously, there's Catwoman. Yep, yep. The only other person who really comes to mind immediately is Mia from Green Arrow, and like she's a very, I mean, she would take a very deft hand to tuck cover because she's introduced as a teenager who's a sex worker, um, and she was in like the Kevin Smith uh, Green Arrow book that came out in like oh one or whatever. I'm um, sure he handled that really sensitively. 
Well, you know, the thing is, like, it could have been so much worse. You know what I mean? Like, for 2001, it was like, you're supposed to sympathize with her and like her, and she gets to become a superhero. And, like, and, and she has HIV, and it's not, like, doesn't make her not be a superhero. And, like, for 2001, you're like, okay. All right, you know? I'll allow it. <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, which, which is why I think the character would be resuscitatable, is that there isn't, like, this core, like, wow, this is, like deeply problematic from the start like kind of a thing like i think you know like you it was at least well intended and you could do a better job with that oh thank um, you. so thank you you know yeah there's somewhere out there there's a green arrow sidekick who's a former sex worker and oh, yeah. um she's a teenager and she's hiv and she can shoot people full of arrows i don't know maybe do something with that yeah cool i'm into that um yeah it would also it might also be nice to write something that's like totally like not in my wheelhouse and kind of like challenge myself um in that way I like wrote I probably shouldn't talk about this too much but like I wrote a couple of spec scripts for uh for DC that I really hope see the light of day one day and like one of them was about witches like like very like modern feminist which is, which was like, you know, sort of like adjacent to a lot of my work, but required me to sort of like dig into some like occult stuff that I didn't, I didn't come in with as much knowledge of. So like, that was really fun. And then I like wrote another piece that was about a Northern California cult. I probably shouldn't say anymore. And like, you know, getting, getting to write, Getting to just like flex my my versatility is something that I that I hope to be able to do in my career over the next five years. So, um, awesome! If well, anybody if anybody listening yeah. has any ideas of what I should write, then you can get at me on the internet. I feel like there's probably a range of comics fan headcanons over which other mainstream characters have history like doing sex work also, which I haven't thought about that, but like, I know that there's like, you know, that there's going to be, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, absolutely. And, and so many, yeah. so many of the like mystical or supernatural talents that mainstream comics characters have could be like really potent sex work metaphors. Um, and that it could be really true. great to like have those characters like, you know, like decide to do sex work and not have it be a like, oh no, this is a sign right. that they're like spiraling out of control in, in, in some way. Right. It could be like, well, like, you know, how could I use telepathy or how could I use, yeah. um, uh, you know, uh, some other, uh, you know, my ability to like change size or shape. <laughs> like, oh my God. How did I not think about this? Right. Okay. Emma Frost is a former sex worker. Yeah. And like I, literally Anna Senti has her quote, Camille Paglia. It's just like the most like 1989 thing that ever happened. And like, uh, oh, like yeah. Camille Paglia like, <laughs> is, a, is another example of like a, a Borman uh, proxy, uh, like Camille Paglia is like my sworn enemy. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, but yeah, Emma Frost, I, I, you know, I don't, I, I, I confess, I, I need to do a little bit more digging into, into some more history of some of these characters. Cause I like, obviously I'm familiar with, 
with Emma Frost and like her whole fucking deal and perfect example of somebody whose outfits should not yep. stand up the way that they do. But I'm like, great. Awesome. I'm not against Emma mm-hmm. Frost's tits being covered by like a little like tankini, like all good. Like, yeah, uh, but this know. is in character for her. So that's fine. <laughs> totally. <laughs> like, totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, she's, she's great. So, so thank you for joining us again. And uh, I'm looking forward to having you back to talk about a range of work, perhaps in the future. I would love um, that. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Any, any, any time I, I love your show and I love this particular intersection of, of interests. So um, yeah. Uh, oh, one last question. Yeah. For folks who haven't listened to your podcast before, what yes. would be a good starter episode for them to check out to get Ooh. like a sense of it? Um, well, the first thing that comes to mind is that if they are listeners of your show, there's at least one person I know who has been a guest on this show who's also been a guest on mine, and that is Chingy. So oh, yeah, Chingy came Chingy. on Why Are People Into That to talk about mommies. Uh, a, a sort of like you know the female equivalent of like daddies, like leather daddies, yeah. right? And yeah. and um, which is like a a fetish or like kink identity that doesn't get as much airtime as daddies because mm-hmm. I'm just gonna guess misogyny. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah. and and Chingy is like all about mommies and mommy play uh, and so uh, that was uh that was a really fun conversation so I would, I would recommend that one and also like if anybody has listened to her on this show she is just fucking hilarious so she really is she's so, so smart and vastly entertaining and yeah. i i think that would be a great episode to check out yeah um so definitely starting there but the thing that's cool about why are people into that i mean first of all it's indie and i've been doing it for close to seven years and you know, you can kind of like scroll through the feed for maybe people that you have heard of. You know, there's a lot of a lot of writers, a lot of artists, a lot of sex workers in, in a lot of mediums um, and also like um, medical professionals and, and, and social workers and activists, just like all kind of different different kinds of people. And so you can kind of scroll through and like if you recognize someone and want to like listen to them have a conversation with me about a topic, you can do that. Or if you want to scroll through for a a sex or fetish topic that you're interested in, it's like pretty clearly delineated, like just in the, in the titles of the episode in the, in the feed. So if you like want to listen to an episode about spanking or bondage or, um, uh, what's another like recent good example, voyeurism, uh, you know, that, that's, um, that's what, you know, you can kind of like pick and choose and then like maybe discover people through the conversations that we have. And it's, I think it's very unlike a lot of other content out there. That's like, are you curious about voyeurism? Here's like a really basic list of what it's about. It's, it's, it's people who have like a lot of experience with these different sexual interests and also a lot of experience talking about them already so mm-hmm. um uh yeah and it's mm-hmm. it's a lot like this show it's like freeform and conversational and intellectual and funny and raunchy and um uh yeah and personal and political and uh available wherever you pod so thanks for Yay. letting me plug that uh, 
Absolutely. And you know, the more I think about it, like if you're somebody who is like serious about Wonder Woman as a character and like wants to be able to understand Wonder Woman and like be a Wonder Womanologist or what have you, like you should probably read about like some of the the kink stuff that influenced the character's creation and understand from the perspective of people who, you know, are interested in that, like what it is they see, why they like it, because those things are part of the core of her creation as a character. God, that is so true. And it, it it's so funny how it how it's uh sick it how it's how it's cyclical too because like i totally know people who have like mind control fetishes because of like reading wonder woman comics when they were really young or who are like really into whips or bondage or are really into you know leather corsets and boots um uh, but uh yeah the the fact that the that the history of th- there seems to be like a fascination with the history of the creation of Wonder Woman being rooted in kink and polyamory and like femdom desire. But then like, when are we going to see that like more explicitly used in that character? That's what I would, I would challenge the powers that be at DC to, uh, to let me, uh, play with that. But, um, we'll, 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 we'll see if they let me make, um, it, it's so, it's funny. I don't want to go on and on and on about this, but like, I feel like a lot of the way that we see Wonder Woman's feminism, tell me what you think about this. I feel okay. like she kind of comes across as a little bit, second wave because also the like mm-hmm. um the like feminist like vi- thinly veiled lesbian subtext like separatist idea of the like right island where they've like never seen a man but like live peacefully for the most part and like get along just fine without men is like very much like a second wave feminist idea. So I could like see Wonder Woman being like appalled by some of the, some of the uh, like values that like the characters of safe sex hold really dear. And it would be interesting to see her be challenged in that. What well, do you think about that? We do that? know that canon- canonically speaking, um, we know that Wonder Woman is pro-trans women because Gail Simone basically was like, I will make sure that this is very clear, motherfuckers. Oh, but I it love also that. but it's also not like a theme. Do you know what I mean? It's just like I like that though. She's, she's making sure that you know that Wonder Woman is cool with trans women, but it's also not like they're not like having an exploration of what that means. Do you know what I mean? Which is probably okay since like, that's not maybe, maybe not, you know, Gail's particular expertise or what have you, but, um, but, but that, that's I think, really like, important yeah. too. And that is something that I tried to do with safe sex is like, there are a lot of queer themes in this book and there's a lot of queer politics, but there's, there's not, there's deliberately not a lot of like characters, like walking into a scene and saying like, like as a genderqueer person, like this is my perspective on this, you know, like they, they are who they are. And sometimes that's necessary and sometimes that's great. But like, I feel like I'm looking forward to a world where there are queer characters where like their queerness is not like the only notable thing about them as a character. Totally. 
What you issue of that? Wonder Woman is that where... I don't what, know. It was like, it, it wasn't from during her time of actually running the series. It was like when they let people periodically pop up and just do random, you know, like random one-off things. Cool. Um, That's good to know. I did not know that. Thanks, Gail Simone. You've given us so much. <laughs> it's true. And I feel like Kelly Sue might have had some of that too. But like, basically, not enough women have been able to write Wonder Woman ever. But like, the, at least the ones who have recently, you know, have been like, no, we need to make sure people understand this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that well, the, thank, that yeah. Kelly Sue Bill Jimenez uh, Wonder Woman is uh, got to be got to be badass. I mean, and we're we're actually I wouldn't be we we're waiting on getting her her story uh, from Phil Jimenez, which is going to be like a standalone book, and I, I I think there could be some really cool stuff with that. Yeah, the black well. label we one, right? See. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Um, I know stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, thank you again for joining me. Oh, thank and, you um, so I much. Hope, thank you so, so much I hope much our listeners me. will follow your show right away and go and listen to, um, go and listen to our people into that on uh, whenever, wherever fine podcasts are sold <laughs> and follow you on the social media, Tina Horns Ass. Correct. And as we like to say on this podcast, keep it geeky. Oh, wait, I forgot to even tell you. Right. You want to talk to me? I'm on Twitter, Elana underscore, it's E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. And of course, graphicpolicy.com. Keep it geeky.